Welcome to the Mind Body Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly. Tonight, we have a very special guest, Dr. Allison Daly. She is the founder of Optimal Kinetics, a physical therapy practice here in New Orleans, Louisiana. She is a friend and a colleague and a business partner and just one of the most creative and vital souls that I know. Work in it in the wellness industry, defining new language for what wellness is. So we really are excited to have Allison here with us to talk about this mind-body connection and how we are fostering that in our clinical world. Not only in our clinical world, but also in our personal lives. Thank you. That was very beautiful intro and made me smile. I appreciate all of your kind words and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We love having gurus like you creating not just the way that you want to see therapy played out in the world, but also the way that others could pursue a new way of doing therapy. Wow. That was really beautiful and well said. Allison, what what brought you to this combination of um, Pilates with physical therapy? So my interest specific to Pilates was kind of my entry point, I would say. At this point, I've expanded it into multi-mindful movement modalities, but I will definitely start with my interest in Pilates came when I was in physical therapy school. I worked at the Wellness Center on campus at LSU Health Sciences Center in New Orleans. And I was originally just doing a front desk kind of job and swiping IDs and studying at the same time, getting paid to study, essentially. And then the manager um, at, <coughs> at the center asked me if I'd be interested in doing some certification training and group exercise classes. And specifically, they were going to be flying someone in from Canada who it was a Stott Pilates um, instructor trainer, and they offered to uh, provide me a uh, with the certification, uh, which sounded pretty incredible, and be able to just have that paid for me. It was an extensive number of hours, but it was expensive as well. But it felt like it melded my worlds together of what I was learning from uh, while I was in PT school, specifically with uh, the, when we started doing like applied anatomy and biomechanics, it was like, as I was going through the training, I would be studying what we were doing in my head as we were learning how to uh, teach people movement. So I would be kind of going through attachments, origin insertion, innervation, all of the pieces that you're trying to memorize, but layering it into someone moving. So it felt like a really, like a movement, like a moving way of learning. And that felt really good. 
for me. Yeah, that sounds like it is like a faster way to learn potentially because you're doing the cognitive work, right? And for all of us in the PT world, that applied science of anatomy and biomechanics is really like the stuff we can nerd out on. That's the textbook, like knowing that science really supports whatever you want to do beyond that. It's foundational. But then having that cognitive contextual understanding of the body and then moving through it right so then you're getting like like you said like bridging those two worlds together do you feel like that really accelerated your learning path in any way yeah I feel like I was able to study while learning a specific repertoire of therapeutic exercise yes where we had eventually a class on therapeutic exercise. But what was interesting is that I was kind of learning a method of movement while we were learning anatomy and biomechanics and kinesiology principles and osteokinematics and arthrokinematics and concentric, eccentric, isometric movements, all of the things, the concepts that we were learning, I could apply them Mm -hmm. into the trainings and my practice teaching. I just kept feeling like, oh, that's what this is. Rather than, you know, the next time we would have that type of um, integration would be for a clinical rotation, Mm -hmm. which is you know, another semester away or whenever it was. So it was really nice to have that consistent checking in to, and in essence, you're practicing how to teach someone how to move, which is a skill in and of itself. Tell us more about that. Like that does, that is like a hallmark of, physical therapy education, right? That you are teaching people to move their bodies in space. So can you elaborate on what that requires, like the skills that that would require? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that uh, cueing, so of course we have verbal and tactile cueing are very basic principles that we learn in PT school. And these are also things that movement educators learn, fitness instructors, who I also refer to as movement educators. What you learn as a movement educator is a lot more of how to cue someone verbally, like Mm -hmm. what imagery to use, meaning you have things like anatomical imagery, we as PTs are really good at anatomical imagery. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is that you are telling someone how their body works. Maybe you're showing them a picture of their anatomy or you're showing them how the thing moves. That's very anatomical. Mm-hmm. But we also have other types of imagery like metaphorical imagery. Metaphors are not quite as strong of a cueing technique that we learn as PTs. What's interesting, specific to mindful movement modalities, there are a lot of uh, performing artists like dancers and uh, 
it's really dancers. There's a lot of dancers in them. So that is performing art is a lot of uh, showing someone through movement a specific emotion or a piece. So they're describing a feeling through Mm -hmm. movement. So that kind of goes a little bit more into like the mood words and that type of thing. But metaphors are something more like imagine that your if you're talking about your trapezius for example a really simple one is imagine this muscle as the shape of a kite mm-hmm. and we're you layer an actual like image of something over what the muscle is in order to help someone who doesn't understand anatomical terms understand that oh that muscle is shaped like a kite Mm-hmm. Right. So those are some things that I actually learned more in the Franklin method mm-hmm. with Eric Franklin and um, his form of, of his method of work is um, called dy- also called dynamic neurocognitive imagery. And what you're doing there, that's where I learned a lot of art of cueing. Mm-hmm. And the important thing about when you're teaching someone movement, you have to meet someone where they're at. You and I teaching mm-hmm. each other movement, you already know and understand anatomy and biomechanics, so I can speak to you in that language. Mm-hmm. But if you have someone that doesn't have that language, you have to bridge the gap. And an image is only as good as what the person who you're teaching knows. So. The same image for you might work. It doesn't work for the next person. So it's it's a helpful way to start to be able to educate someone who's Mm. not quite understanding what you're saying. It's a process and takes a lot of work. It's an acquired skill to be able to have kind of a, a word bank of or an image bank of options. There's a lot of common ones, especially when you're working with a closed set or like a closed repertoire of exercises like you do in Pilates or Mm -hmm. like you do in yoga. You can teach the same exercise and you can be very just specific on put your arm here, put your foot there, or you can say more like feel the length from the heel that's touching the ground, like grounding it into the floor as if your foot has roots of, and it's the tree roots that are reaching down into the earth and you, your body is the tree trunk and your arms are reaching as if they are the branches. You can pick what kind of tree that you are. And that's a fun thing too, to give someone some creative control over. I love that. That imagery is beautiful. Yeah. And it's something that as a newbie instructor, you don't have a big bank of images. Mm-hmm. You, it's, a, it's a trial and error kind of process. And sometimes things will come to you that are like, this makes full sense to me. And then you'll say it out loud in a class or to a client. And they're like, 
what in the world are you, what are you saying? This you makes no sense. You practice it. Mm-hmm. And it just depends. <clears throat> so it's, I always tell with my clients, if this doesn't resonate with you, I've got a lot of other options and we're going to figure out what works for you. So it just, the other piece of, of, of cueing that is important, especially when you're talking about metaphors and uh, comparative type of uh, images, sometimes those hold emotion with them. So if I'm telling you, hey, Kelly, we're going to talk about the diaphragm here today. I want you to imagine your diaphragm as a trampoline. And you know when you jump on the trampoline, the trampoline sinks down and then it and that it reverses and pushes you back up with the energy. Well, I loved being on a trampoline when I was a kid. Very great experiences. I also never had an injury on a trampoline. But <laughs> <Luckily>. maybe <laughs> maybe you had a really bad experience on a trampoline, whether it was uh, you know, you fell off and there was an injury or mm-hmm. it reminds you <clears throat> of you had to go to this trampoline and this neighbor that you hated, but your family made you do it, whatever. The point is that our associations mm-hmm. with metaphor is different for every person. Yeah. That could be a fearful memory or a joyful memory. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so Images are only as good as the effect that they have on the learner. Yes. Which is why it's always a discovery process to see what works for people. Mm-hmm. And one of, and you know, higher than that, helping someone to discover and explore and develop their own images yes. is a really, is the next step for, for them. I could totally see how that could be an integrative therapeutic approach um, for a patient to be able to provide their own meaningful interpretation to how that movement feels. And then that's their visualization. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And it's a fun homework piece for, for uh, clients as well, where um, if you're talking about a specific concept and you want them to kind of be thinking about it throughout your day, you can ask them, you know, notice when you go for a walk in the park, what are you seeing that might be comparative to something that we're working on in, um, in, in the studio? The tree is like a very easy example mm-hmm. of grounding through the feet and lengthening through the, uh, through the arms if you're working on um, any type of like decompression type of spine, uh, decom- spinal axial elongation or spinal decompression. But the point is that, you know, if there's an image that resonates with someone, ask them to, can you see that in your everyday life, mm-hmm. whatever it is? Eric Franklin loves to talk about the scapula or the shoulder blades as imagine them as slippery bars of soap. Oh, love. <laughs> love that. And so as you're teaching someone scapular mobility of all the different movements, you can, and he's an artist, so he'll 
it, you'll see the anatomy and that of uh, it'll draw the anatomy and then on top of it instead of the scapula it's slipper it's bars of soap with a lot of bubbles on them that is so fun would you like to walk our listeners through that little slippery bar of soap exercise for a second like sure. in a way that they could feel that right now yeah absolutely so we can do I'll do two of the really like classical ones one is uh there's one that's slippery bars of soap and these are both going to be shoulder movement ones the other one is um is a shoulder what we call shoulder sponging so it's like a sponge type of image so um with all of this work and this is again another one of these mindful movement modalities that i use in my practice Mm -hmm. this one is really like all of the franklin methods work is very much um teaching imagery it's it's dynamic imagery and it's being able to teach someone through sensory motor training so it's a it's a process of feeling something Mm -hmm. do you want to make it better Mm -hmm. let's choose a tool we try the tool and then we have a little comparison study of like, did that feel better? Right. Worse or the same. <laughs> it's the mindfulness it. at every step. That's it. And mm-hmm. so um, every single, whatever you're trying to teach someone, it's that same four-step process of, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, see, just feeling, do something. Is there a change? what's the change that's it it's as simple as that the sensory motor training so I like the structure to that that's wonderful for even beginning therapists too because there's like that clean structure that you can just repeat again and again yes and yes great for new and it works just as well for new instructors and PTs and you as a practitioner you have to remember that you're teaching the person how to do exactly what it is that you do for them. Right. And therefore you're teaching them the same process. You're teaching them how do they put their hands on their body to be able to feel the things. And really we know as us, our manual therapy skills, we're doing something to a person to help facilitate, to help teach them what it could feel like. And then they get to put their hands on their body mm-hmm. to be able to mimic, recreate, try to facilitate the same movement patterns that we're providing them. Yes, so. I love that. It's empowering to the patient then. That's right. I always like to say, you know, that I'm teaching the person to become their own therapist. Because you don't need me forever. (laughs) That's right. We want our patients to become their own therapists. Absolutely. So what do these slippery bars of soap feel like? I know you're very excited about the slippery bars (laughs) of soap. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a cliffhanger because I want to do the, um, we're going to do the, the shoulder sponging first. Okay. And, uh, so what we're going to do is you're going to take your right hand and you're going to put it on your left shoulder and I want you to put your thumb right by your neck. Okay, and got then it. And put your hand over your shoulder. Got it. So everybody's got their right hand on their left shoulder. The thumb is hugging the neck. That's right. Uh-huh. 
So then from there, what we're gonna do is squeeze that muscle between your fingers and the palm of your hand. That feels good. So <laughs> this is a very simple like self-massage type of thing that we all do, right? We rub our shoulder. Yes, and the place well, where tension builds up there. Yes, of course. And here, um, those of us who have anatomical language know that the, some of the muscles that appear are gonna be trapezius and levator scap. So we kind of know that as, as anatomical language speakers. Mm -hmm. But let's say what we're doing, the way that you're holding the palm of your hand and your hand and your fingers over that muscle Rather than, and we'll do this as well, rather than taking that muscle between your thumb, thumb in the front, and mm. fingers in the back, so your palm of your hand and your actual hand are not on it. Right. That's a different, that's a different surface area than if all of it's on it. So yes. A lot of this is as much of, we know hands have such a high density of sensory receptors. We want to really get as many, as much surface area of our hands on the thing that we're trying to do. So that's kind of why the hand position matters. Love that. It's like full contact. Yes. And so that matters. That's a cueing thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the specificity matters and it's for a reason. Yes. There should always be a reason for why you're choosing to tell someone a way to do something there's not a reason or an intention what are we doing right purposeful oh. and yes. the sensory feedback that you're getting is maximized too so it helps increase that motor learning from it that's right so here we have we're going to use the image of a sponge and it's going to be a big sponge. It's going to be like the sponge that you used for cleaning your car. Nice. The big one. Yeah. Right. Not just, and I will show people, a lot of this work is showing people props. This is the thing that we're thinking about. So we're on the same page. Because when I say sponge, you might think, uh -huh. what? The, the little, little dish sponge. The little dish sponge mm -hmm. that's in your sink. It could be a uh, a, a sponge. Uh, you know, a sponge that you have that's like a coral kind of sponge <laughs> that's decorative. It could be whatever it is. Everyone's initial thought of what it is is different. So we're being specific. If you were able to see us, I could have a prop and show you exactly. This is the kind of the big. All right. So mm -hmm. we have, we're holding that sponge. We're imagining that the muscle that we're holding here is a sponge. Okay. So if you were to, uh, as with a sponge, you can squeeze the water like out of the sponge, right? And then if you put that sponge into a, a bucket of clean water and then allow, like, allow it to expand, it soaks up some new clean water. Right? Lovely. So we're going to imagine that this muscle here is acting like our sponge. So when you squeeze, I want you to imagine that you're squeezing out all the dirty water. Mm -hmm. And then when you release it, let's imagine that it's absorbing like new clean water. Wonderful. Okay. 
We want clean water in our muscles. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what I mean by mood words or the words matter, right? The words matter. When I say like, squeeze the dirty water out because you don't want that. Allow for new and clean water to come in. That's great. That's what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. So we have our left arm is going to hanging down by the side. We've got the right hand over the top of the shoulder, over the left, that shoulder. And then we're going to take that muscle underneath, give it a squeeze. Let's do a breath with this. Take a big inhale. And then exhale, release the squeeze and let it rest. Nice. So I'm going to add the image on this next time. So we're layering. So I just did basic. Do this, do that, right? Now, take a breath. Inhale, exhale. Now we're ready. So here we're going to take an inhale. Give that shoulder a squeeze. Let's imagine that there's a sponge, dirty sponge, dirty water is really squeezing out of it. On your exhale, you can let that muscle rest. You can imagine that it's filling up with clean water. Let's try it again. So we'll do a little inhale, squeezing out your sponge. Dirty water is all out. Put it in the new water, release it. Let all the new water soak into it. Okay. Love that. I'm going to change the image to anatomical for a different language, right? Okay. So here we are with, um, we're going to do this where you take an inhale. You're going to shrug your shoulder or elevate your shoulder and squeeze. On your exhale, you're going to depress the shoulder and lengthen. Maybe we open our fingers and reach down toward the floor. Okay. Super. And then from there, let's just take, I like that Kelly's wanting to do another round. Yeah, I love this. It's such a good <laughs> squeezing muscle workout. Yeah. So <laughs> then from there, we're just going to do, we're not, we're just going to take the arms down by your sides, close your eyes, Take a moment to feel this is our compare and contrast. Mm. We've only done one side. We've done something. We've only done it to one shoulder. We have two shoulders. So all we're doing is checking in to see, does the shoulder that we did feel different than the one we haven't done yet? And if so, what's different? That's great. Yeah, I feel my left trapezius, the upper trap, feels more relaxed, softer, softer. It actually feels more connected and alive. Like it's awake. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we know that there are specific reasons why that has happened, right? Mm-hmm. We know with our, with our terminology as PTs, we understand that we have created some proprioceptive input into our sensory system that went up to the brain and the brain changed some things to wherever it is that we were asking it to, right? Mm -hmm. The breath changes tone, right? The elevation and depression of the shoulder helps your brain notice where the end points are in the continuum. Here's the highest I go. Here's the lowest I go. 
your brain with that is also sensing like, that was a little, I was holding that a little high and, Mm -hmm. oh, I forgot. We call that sensory motor amnesia. I forgot that it can, it can rest a little lower. And then you also have the image, those images help us to think about really when, when those, when the muscles start to calm down a bit, you know, you that you're also receiving the benefit of you're not getting as much pressure and compression on cutaneous nerves or nerves that are innervating the musculature. They just don't have as much pressure on it. So you can feel things better or in a different way, whatever, whatever it feels for you. And then you're also changing circulation, right? right? For the same reason. So all of those things are happening. Whether you talk about it anatomically or you use a metaphor or whatever it is that you decide to use, you're getting the same effect. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, I personally, I'm, I'm very strongly literate in anatomical language. When we started doing metaphors in my training, I was like, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. But that's not everyone, and it's helpful, and it's actually extremely beneficial to practice that. Sure. You actually get a much better understanding of movement when you start practicing more languages. Totally. So that was quite transformational for me to be able to know, like, well, actually, try this, and you get a more three-dimensional understanding of how you can move, which translates into how you can teach others. Totally. Would you like to do the other side? Sure. Okay. So left hand is going to go over the right shoulder. Right hand is going to just rest down by our side. Okay. So we've got that muscle belly between the palm of the hand and the whole hand is on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. The thumb is right by the neck. So we'll just do an initial kind of squeeze the muscle just to see what you're feeling there. Squeeze and release. So then from there, we're going to add on that image of the sponge. So just going to squeeze. Think about squeezing the dirty water out of a sponge. And then take the sponge. You're putting it into some new water. Release. And let the uh, clean water run into the sponge. Okay, we'll do it again. So you're going to squeeze the dirty water out of the sponge. Then we find that clean water, release the sponge, and let it soak up that new clean water. We get to layer on some movement now. Give it a squeeze and shrug your shoulder up. Take an inhale. And then exhale. Let the shoulder sink down. Release your squeeze. And maybe even we take the fingers, open them, and reach toward the floor. Okay. Image. We're going to do our squeeze. Now we are thinking about the sponge. Give the sponge a squeeze. We're going to lift it up toward our ear. And then we're going to let the sponge go down into the clean water and soak up some new clean water. Try it once more with that thought. We'll give it the sponge a squeeze, lift it up out of your dirty water, squeezing, and then 
we're going to lower it down into the clean water and let it soak up some new. Then when we're done with that, we just let both arms come back down by the sides. I like to close my eyes whenever we're trying to, you know, feel what's going on in our bodies. You can keep them open or closed, whatever works for you. Sometimes when we take away one sense, you can feel a little bit better. And the whole point here is we've done a second side now. So we get a little compare contrast in two ways now. We can compare it to what it, the shoulder felt like before. We can also compare it to the side that we've done, right? Yeah, I love that. It actually, it slows me down into the sequence. It makes me really pay attention to more the nuance of the movement. And it helps me to appreciate the differences. Like you said, when we did our left shoulder, I could definitely tell the difference between the left and the right one, the right one that had not been done yet. Mm -hmm. And now they're both feeling quite rested mm -hmm. after that little self-treatment. Beautiful. Yes. And what's really fun about this work is that it doesn't take three sets of 10 repetitions and count it yes. out. It actually is. Can we just throw away the three sets of 10, please? I would love that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been Let's advocating. Let's make a new principle. I've been advocating for this for 12 years. The point is, whenever there's a, there's a certain number of repetitions that you it stops becoming quality and you're just counting. Yes. You're not thinking about what you're actually doing. And this is a big difference in how we can teach people movement. Yes, there's a great science to our ACSM standards and the number of repetitions and how we train muscle with repetitions and resistance, whether it's strength, power, flexibility, coordination, or, uh, or endurance. We know that we can train it in different ways. What this is, you're, I like to describe it like this. If you have a chandelier in your dining room, we all know what a chandelier looks like, yes. Chandelier often has, like, by definition, lots of light bulbs. And oftentimes, it's not just an off-on switch, it's a dimmer switch. Right? Mm -hmm. So if we have the chandelier and we want to make the room brighter, we've got options. Mm -hmm. We can screw in more light bulbs with the same voltage, mm -hmm. right? or unscrew light bulbs with the same voltage on like the dimmer switch. Or we could have, you know what, I'm gonna put in X number of light bulbs and I'm gonna turn that dimmer switch way up or down. And both of those techniques mm -hmm. are going to brighten or dim the room. Right. There are different ways to get there, right? I love that analogy. So here's how it relates to muscle training. Adding or subtracting actual bulbs is hypertrophy or atrophy. Mm -hmm. And this is, has to do with the cross-sectional area at the muscle belly. If we're going to train neural adaptation, which is our mindful movement work that the neural adaptation and the neuromuscular work is the voltage of the dimmer switch. Totally. That's the brain to muscle connection. Correct. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're going to get the same result. 
takes a lot longer to screw in all the light bulbs than it does to adjust the dimmer switch. Totally. Right? Yeah. The same thing with hypertrophy takes six to eight weeks and neural adaptation happens first, right? We know that from our kinesiology principles. And for those listeners who are wondering what that means, whenever you are beginning a new method or just working out for the first time or you just joined the gym, the initial changes that are going to happen are happening between the brain and muscle communication via the nervous system. Those are going to be the first changes on board. And then you're going to be able to see changes in muscle size, which relate to changes in muscle strength later down the road. But that first initial change that shows up is to Allison and I both, the fascinating part of our brain and our muscle wiring together better. That's right. Yes. And that is definitely the entire basis of how I work with clients is that let's optimize our neural adaptation. Let's optimize that piece of things because that's immediate. It happens immediately. We don't have to wait three times your one your 80% of the one rep max for three repetitions 12 blah 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 like all of the specifics of resistance and repetitions over 6 to 8 weeks to f- see that significant change in strength you can focus on the quality of it you're it's going to happen faster it's going to be longer lasting And you're able to teach someone how to move well rather than saying, go do your three sets of rep and not watch what they're doing. Yes. It doesn't serve them. Yeah. And I mean, I know some of our listeners can relate and especially PTs in the field can relate to that type of environment where you're exercising or you're receiving physical therapy And it is kind of mindless. It is like checking off boxes or going through repetitions without feedback or without supervision or without necessarily, you know, the skill involved in changing the coordination, making it a better quality pattern. So I love that the focus that you're bringing with the Franklin methodology is really focused on that quality change. At the end of the day, that mind-body connection with the quality change is going to carry over better to injury prevention. It's going to carry over better to aging, to our vitality through a lifetime versus checking off the boxes with an exercise with this number of reps. So I think we're all ready for that paradigm shift, right? From PT education to be like, throw away the reps. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, it's a great conversation that I think you and I both know where we land on this side of the conversation. It would be, I always find it quite interesting to speak with practitioners who do utilize that version of rehab mm-hmm. because it works right I mean it Sometimes works you need an in, exercise log and a list that's, and that quantity that's mm-hmm. right and I'm not here to say that it's wrong I'm here to say that there's 
another way and don't tell me that my way is not valid. Right. (laughs) And I think that it's important for, that's a bigger conversation, of course, where we need to be able to have conversations with between practitioners, whether that is uh, the type of of a specialty or uh, the type of specialization or it's the setting. Or I would also remind us too that generally, generationally, as far as like how long someone has been in practice and what you've been doing for years versus someone trying something a little different. You've never tried that before, but you're arguing that you know, my way is fine. Why would I change? That's not a helpful conversation. When we say my way works, why would I change? Yes. That's not helpful for our professions conversations. And it's not helpful for teaching our clients because the way that you're choosing to teach your clients at the same time, I have the people coming from you that don't like to learn that way. Right. And I'm teaching them in a different way that they enjoy and they're going to do and they're going to get better because they enjoy it. And that's what matters. And every person that comes in the door is different. And we need to be able to have a gamut of tools in our toolbox that will allow us to meet who someone where they're at. Absolutely. Time and a place for all of the things. Absolutely. Yeah. The more tools, the better, because you're right. It's a very diverse population that we end up working with. This person's knee pain is going to vary widely from the next person's knee pain. They're going to have a different gait pattern. They're going to have a different history. They're going to have different tissue issues going on. They're going to have a different personality. They're going to have different habits. And so it's that biopsychosocial approach that, you know, is taking into account the entire person and what they're bringing in the clinic all outside of that knee pain issue. And by looking at the whole person and being inclusive of their habits, their daily lifestyle, what really brings them joy, like you're saying, the things that they will enjoy are the things that they're going to include. And we do know without a doubt, without an argument, that in order to make a lasting change in the brain, we're going to need to repeat it. So we are going to want to fire those neurons together more often to change the habit, to make a long lasting effective habit change. So if the person doesn't enjoy doing it and they're not including in their daily routine, our outcome is going to be impacted negatively. They're not going to get to the end goal of what they want to achieve if they're not going to include it. So I love all those principles in a, in a package together of the quality, the engagement of the patient, and their enjoyment of the movement, and what they're learning literally is helping to shape their brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. You ready for slippery bars of soap? Oh, totally. Show me slippery bars of soap. I cannot wait for this. Slippery bars of soap is kind of fun because it's actually just, we're going to use it. I mean, you can use this in lots of different ways, but 
we're going to use one of the techniques that is called mental simulation of movement, which is us talking through movement without doing anything, without touching anything. Okay. And this is a technique that many elite athletes use as part of their training. Yes. They will uh, imagine, especially gymnastics. I have a background as a a kid. I was a gymnast for years. So that was a huge part of imagining our routines. Any athlete can work on thinking through that rehearsal. Yes. And what's fascinating about it is that if we put those, the brains inside of imaging studies and the same places light up when you're thinking about it as when you're actually doing it. And that is so cool. It's wild. It's wild. It is such a huge positive hope. I have to talk on this for one second before we move to slippery soap. Go for it. Because that potential in the brain to be able to mentally rehearse something and to be able to make the physical change in the neuronal map based on strictly the mental rehearsal, the imagery, and the visual part of it, the thinking and the visual um, function combined will change the outcome of the movement or the free throw accuracy or the landing the jump. In gymnastics, so it's um, we've we've utilized that for a long time in athletics to give that competitive edge, right? Like those mental rehearsal reps matter, and then I see it carrying over to our popular culture in ways that it's like think your way to success, right? Like imagine yourself in that lifestyle you dream of, think your way into who you want to be. And so we know that that is part of the neuroscience and our modern research that backs that up. I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. And there are uh, some really incredible studies that we're starting to do from Franklin Method in the research is called Dynamic Neurocognitive Imagery. And there's a lot of great published studies with my friends and colleagues Amit is an incredible researcher, PT, who used to be out of Emory, and I, I don't know if he's there anymore. I think he is elsewhere. But my point is that we're going into studies, as, and it's interesting. It's always very fascinating to me when PTs get involved in some type of, I'm in the mindful movement world, when we started to get involved within the Pilates world, research boomed. Yes. Yeah, because PTs are nerds. Yoga boomed. We're like, we're going to want to know. I want to know this. Let, let's we want the run science. the research. Let's run the science. There's something here. Let's check it out. So um, this is kind of another thing. PTs are starting to work more and more with uh, within the Franklin method. And, um, we finally have a PT researcher who was like, I'm in. Nice. 
So that's great. We're getting some really fascinating studies on um, utilizing these techniques specific to uh, simple movement patterns. Like uh, they often work with dancers. That's the population that Eric teaches at the Juilliard School and uh, works with a lot of international dance companies, Broadway and Cirque du Soleil. And but I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So performance enhancement of, uh, of, of movement, even just a vertical jump and they'll measure before and after. Uh, and it's fascinating. So here we go with, uh, where we back at slippery bars of soap. This is so going back to, we're going to do an example of mental simulation of movement with that one. Okay. So here's how, here's what we do. You're going to let both arms rest down by your sides. And we're going to imagine our shoulder blades. So we have our spine in the middle, going straight in the middle from our head down to our tail. And then on either side of those of that spine live two slippery bars of soap right on our rib cage. So I want you to imagine that already the slippery bars of soap are wet and they have little bubbles. And we need to polish and clean our rib cage with those bars of soap. So let's just do, we're gonna do one at a time. So we're working this, remember we're going with mental simulation of movement this time. So I'm going to talk us through the movement, but we're not actually going to move for the first portion of this, okay? Okay. We're going to work on our, we're going to do the right side first, just arbitrarily doing the right. So without movement, because we'll all want to move, promise. Yes. (laughs) Without movement, (laughs) we're just going to imagine that there is this, the bar of soap that's on that right side where the shoulder blade lives. There is someone, a little friend, helping to move that slippery bar of soap going up towards the head side. And maybe there's even a little uh, circular movement around the rib cage like you're scrubbing scrub-a-dub and then it's going to lower down towards the floor and we're sudsing we're sudsing so very bubbly over here very bubbly all right so we'll go one more time here And without moving, again, just imagining this bar of soap is just sliding and gliding up the ribcage, moving up toward your shoulder, the top of the shoulder. And then we're getting some nice suds there, and we're going to go down the ribcage toward that pelvis, kind of lower ribcage pelvis, just where that's starting. Lots of bubbles happening there. Okay. And then that's it. That's all we're doing. So we just open the eyes for a moment. We've not done any movement at all. Compare sides. 
There's some fun uh, movement patterns that we do for comparative analysis for our Franklin method things. We've got a lot of equipment right here in front of us, but one that we can do and you can try at home is you take your arms out to the side and then you reach your arms to the front and bring your hands together. And what you're gonna notice, <laughs> Kelly adjusted, what you'll notice <laughs> is that your right hand will go a little bit longer than your left. Totally. The This happens every time. It's I love that. wild. Yeah, it's such a good party trick. It's wild. Scrubbing bubbles. It surprises me every time. I love, I mean, I felt, can I say what it, are we Absolutely. at the reflective yes, part? I was, uh, yes, I was, yes, I Yes, I would love to hear that. I mean, in immediately on the first slippery slope imagery that you started, I could feel my jaw relax. Wow. Yeah. That's advanced. Yeah. And I mean, I just, that really humors me, you know, as a PT who's constantly working these upper traps to unstick the scapula from the rib cage. Absolutely. That we could just imagine our relaxation pathways there that are connected. So let's repeat this with movement. Mm -hmm. So that's what's fun about this. You didn't have to move and something changed. Now let's just add movement and it, it's it makes it even better. Yeah, right? very fun. So arms down by the side. So we've got, we're still on the right side. We've got that bar of soap that's right at that shoulder blade area. It's already sudsy because we've already done some things there. Now we're going to actively start to do some movement, imagining that it's moving, right? And not, in, yes, it is moving this time. So that slippery bar of soap is going to slide up the rib cage and our shoulder is going to elevate. It's going to lift toward our ear. And then we're going to slowly, we're going to go lowering it down and that slippery little bar of soap just slides down the back of that rib cage. Okay. So you get to play around with, maybe it's not just straight up and straight down. Maybe you want to go in a circle. Maybe you want to go rounding the shoulders forward. So the bar of soap kind of goes around the side of the rib cage, or it comes around and kind of back toward the spine, goes in a circle. Maybe you want to raise your arm. You raise your hand up and imagine that what that bar of soap is going to be doing is sliding and gliding doesn't matter what arm movement that you're going to try this is where you get into the part of like freestyling where we kind of make some specific movements and it's kind of restricted so it, it's easy to think about just up just down mm -hmm. and then as you start to feel like oh I totally I get that let's try some other ones different planes of motion and then it just becomes whatever movement feels good for you. Do you want to dance around the room? Mm -hmm. Do you want to take your arms overhead? Whatever, whatever it is that you want to do. What's fascinating about it is that as you understand the image, and if it's an image that works for you, it feels easy. Totally. And I mean, it's 
efficiency. That's what we're looking for. Ease in movement and efficient movement. Yeah, that you're totally right. I can see the process unfolding with ease. Um, it's powerful. The language connection is so powerful. And our interpretation of it then, how it can fit right into our own repertoire. Like I can feel on myself some little crunchy zones in that right scapular area that need a little TLC. And for me to visualize that slippery slope, soap, slope moving around, (laughs) (laughs) it was like inviting motion, inviting lubrication, inviting that good, it just felt good. Mm -hmm. I even felt it like in my throat chakra, like a little just, you know, some goodness, some good juicy stuff in there. That's, that's fantastic. A lot of the a lot of the benefit of using mindful movement modalities and using imagery and ta- as as far as your uh, verbal cueing, you get very interesting releases and connections into areas that you didn't necessarily. Um, it would it wouldn't be the primary intention, right? Yet you're going to get that. Whereas if we are working, for example, on a Cybex (laughs) we were joking about (laughs) this a little earlier and there's again time and place for machines of course but if you think about which would limit the planes of motion really control correct Mm -hmm. controls the planes of motion and it and it's very specific to the single muscle that you're working right it's different it's just different and we just need to consider the difference. Yes. It's okay to do both. It's really a both and. It's not an either or. Right. Right. And what's also cool about once you start once you start working with imagery, you get to take that into whatever movement that you want. So if you want to be working with um, in in a group exercise class or uh, with a personal trainer or on your own or uh, free weights or machines or whatever it is, layer the imaging onto it. Yeah. And you're going to get a better, a, it's, you're going to get just that much more benefit as opposed to watching a YouTube video while you're, you know, you're checked out. Totally. So if your purpose is change, do you want that change to happen quickly and last, or would you like that change to take a little bit longer? You can do it either way. One's going to take longer. One's going to be faster. Takes more attention or less attention. It's up to you. I don't care. (laughs) I, it's so right. I mean, it's, we live in a fast paced society. We don't have the time to really slow down or take the long road. So many of my patients are like, how long is this going to take for me to get better? Mm-hmm. And if you are, so here's where the, you know, how long does it take? Like, this feels like it takes such a long time to learn. Yeah. It takes a it takes longer for you to teach someone the first time around. Mm-hmm. I can see that. However, Once they understand what it is we're doing, how it should feel, how it could feel, they understand why we're doing it. They know it's a tool that creates positive change and positive movement experience for them. Then it becomes empowering for them. Like, oh, when I feel X, 
I know that I need to do why to feel better. And isn't that more important than us giving them a sheet saying, do these exercises three times a day and it takes them an hour and a half. That's just not realistic. I would always rather, I'm going to teach you one thing. Yes. And when you feel a certain way, I want you to try this. See how it goes. Every time you feel this, try it. See how it goes. Report back. Did it work? Did it feel better? Did it not? And sometimes it doesn't. It's like, that didn't really work for me. Let's try something different. Not the best tool for you. Maybe we need, maybe we need a, uh, you know, magenta instead of red. Yeah. Maybe we need a fuchsia (laughs) instead of just like purple, blue. Yeah. Whatever it is, we have so many tools and our job is to help people sort through the plethora of tools that are available. And that's it. Yeah. Using specificity there, which is something we do really well in our profession, I would say. You you know, utilizing a specific treatment, um, it really does engage the patient's visual cortex, like we've been saying, but also their emotional realm, you know? So to be able to feel that sense of something they can do for self-care, literally, like you're saying, to be um, prescriptive to the ache that they're having that day, to be able to do a therapeutic movement in a way that helps relieve that stress and tension out of the body. And that is that layer of empowerment on top. And it's just added bonus that they just took care of their bodies in that way. That's right. Giving someone the opportunity to be in charge of their own recovery is a very incredible empowerment tool to provide for people. And I would love for that to become more of the standard of care where we really emphasize to patients and clients that I- I'm not doing it for you. You yes. need to choose and decide, like, do you want to get better and if so are you willing to do what you know is it a minute a day is it 10 like I don't it doesn't matter what I think it matters what you want and what you're realistically going to be able to do because we're going to find the things that are doable for you And that you're going to be able to do on a regular basis because they feel good. And if it feels good, you're going to do it more. And you're going to want more feel good things. You're like, I like that tool. Give me more of those. You're going to do them rather than you have your repetitions of single leg raises. I see on sheets sometimes (laughs) still and ankle pumps and things and you know what, time and place for post-op rehab things, but we've got to remember, this is if this is my soapbox for the last decade, if you're going to give someone an exercise sheet, don't forget to delete the ones that they don't need anymore. Yes. Don't keep giving someone quad sets at three months post-op. 
The body adapts quickly. They don't need quad sets anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Quad sets and straight leg raises. When Allison and I were in physical therapy school um, getting our first degrees, it was standard, rote, fair. That was the peanuts on the plane. (laughs) This is what you're going to get. Straight leg raises and quad sets. But you know, we've come a long way. And my, my favorite, and what I'm trying to really also get across is if you're printing out this series of exercise sequences with the pictures on it, you know, the, the thing that I'm talking about. If you're doing plyometrics with someone, the beginning shouldn't be quad sets. <laughs> Delete that part. They're done with that. Out with the old. Yeah. Take away as you add. That's important. Yeah, that's we have to be as adaptive as the human body is, at at the very least. We have to go with that adaptation curve. Or it won't continue to change and grow. That's right. Allison, so you have shared with us a lot of great things. We did some wonderful exercise. Um, that was really fun. I think we can all take that home and enjoy that luscious movement experience in our shoulder blades. Um, and so on this note of self-care in the way that our our mindful movement can be a form of self-care, what kinds of pleasurable self-care activities do you like to do for movement or for stress release or like give me a little rundown of what's in your toolbox sure I I like many I would say in our profession we're movers right? yes and we in, I'm just going to generalize we tend to be type a people we tend to have trouble like sitting and being in one space And meditation and sitting for any period of time with our thoughts is not easy for us, right? No, we like to, we're mobile. (laughs) Yes. Moving parts. That's right. So um, years ago, one of my favorite yoga instructors uh, introduced me to a book called Moving Into Stillness. Okay, This is a concept which I absolutely love, which is, I also, with my two-year-old niece, we call it shake the sillies out, right? Yes. (laughs) Sometimes, and a lot of times, you need to move. And this is what is a beautiful piece of yoga practice. You have movement and you end in stillness, which is a really interesting way of taking your brain, using your body to calm your nervous system, and then you end in that still spot, in that Shavasana pose, and you're able to have a calm mind. Love. This this speaks to me of aligning the body with the mind. That's right. Mm -hmm. And it's important to just notice. This is why the mindful movement modalities are great, because it makes you notice. It makes you notice asymmetries. It makes you notice where am I today? It makes you notice, mm, do I need to be still or do I need to move? And then you get to pick and choose. So for me, I have a lot of different pieces that, a lot of different things that I enjoy, 
but I enjoy for different reasons and then that I'll pick and choose for different reasons. So for me right now in where I am in my life, the things that I have, I am choosing, and this is a different conversation for a different day about flow mm-hmm. and flow for people who've not heard of it before. Watch the movie Soul, the Disney Soul movie, oh, yes. right? Uh-huh. They talk about flow in that. Yeah. It's a great, fun movie to think about. But in essence, it's whatever something that you're doing where you kind of lose track of time because you're having such a great time and you're in it and you're not thinking about anything else. Like that's kind of the general concept of flow. And there are sometimes you need to do something like active to kind of get your brain focused on where you are presently. And sometimes you need something to calm yourself down to get like back grounded into your body. The more you practice different mindful movement modalities, the more you can kind of just identify where you are and what you might need. So lately for me, I'm only able to do more movement pieces in order to calm down, in order to calm my brain and my anxiety type of fast thoughts, feelings. If I were to go and sit on just, I'm just going to sit on my meditation cushion. And even for, for me to just sit and even do guided seated meditation is really hard for me right now. I'm the same way right now. It's really hard to complete 10 minutes in a sitting posture. What I'm doing during that is moving, stretching, breathing, having micro motions, adjusting my spine. (laughs) It's very difficult to just sit still. Yes, it is. But here's what's great about what you just said. Even though you are, you're still checking in. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. Yes, is exactly. That you're checking in. And so us as movers, I think, and this is a good intro for, I, I'm just going to generalize as PTs because we're movers, but for movers to allow to get to meditation, micro movements, mechanics of breathing what is my rib cage doing what is this checking in on different aspects of the body naming all of your uh, yoga nidra yeah checking the body scans or it makes you think about certain pieces it doesn't let you and think about what's oh crap I forgot to make dinner what am I going to do tomorrow I've got the to-do list and the blah 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 Whatever it is that you can find that takes your brain off of those things, that's what you need. So for me, these in the for me right now, I I, I started taking roller skating dancing lessons. You cannot think about anything else when you're trying to do the moonwalk on roller skates. Totally, it's it not requires easy. all of your attention. Right, it's a lot of attention. Uh-huh. I love it because I can't. I cannot think about anything else at yeah, all. That's I lose track of time I forget how I'm like wow that we're done that was an hour yes that's been a lot in of fun in the moment in the moment that's beautiful exactly and then I started playing golf again lately and golf has a fun flow to it too because what's nice about it is you're out in nature yes I enjoy it. I have a golf buddy that I play with and it's so nice to be able to catch up with him and we get to hang out. And a lot of the time is not really talking. Right. It's just enjoying the outdoors and yeah. 
oh, did you see that bird? And it just being yeah. really just being able to enjoy some easy movement out in nature. So those are two that I've really been enjoying lately. And then today I was fortunate enough to inherit two paddle boards. Oh, nice. So I love water and I'm going to be able to do a little bit more work on the paddleboard. I love doing yoga and Pilates out on the paddleboard. That sounds amazing. You can't think about too many other things when you're trying to do a headstand on a paddleboard. Totally. That's a very focused body practice again. That's right. And great for core. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So, um, sailing is another thing that I love doing. Uh, I love to be able to get out on the water. You turn that motor off and the wind is taking this massive boat. That's wild. It's, it's just a lot of fun. I get a lot of my, um, I get actually a lot of my, uh, imagery cues from sailing. What's yes. interesting is when you're out and doing a flow activity, um, gardening is another one that I know you and I have a kindred um, ha- happiness with getting our hands in the dirt. Plant friends. Plant friends. And there's just a lot of interesting uh, realizations that you have or comparative. I mean, I have comparative anatomy things that happen yes. in my brain when I'm doing, cause I'm just a nerd like that. In the patterns. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, exactly. And it's just being out and having an appreciation for something new, like learning yes. how to paint, learning how to draw, learning something new that takes effort of your brain to, to be there and be present. And I would recommend for anyone who is, more of that, uh, you know, our, our very like more science-based and very, uh, uh, specific, like I want the evidence and I want the science, all of the, that type of brain, try to learn something creative, like find your creative side. It's hard. It can be hard. Tapping into the right brain is not really the predominant way of being in our Western culture. Yes. And we tend, and most people tend to be one either or, right? Not both. And it's always fascinating to me when I sit down and do something in from a creative space, it takes, it's hasn't always been my like reflexive thing of where I want to go, but that intersection of art and science is where the good stuff is as yes. far as that interrelationship with mindful movement. I mean, that's yes. really what it is. So, you know, being able to let your brain kind of wander and be creative is important for our mental health. Yes. And well-being. I love that you're giving us a wide spectrum of what self-care looks like because it's actually one of the focuses I have with this podcast content is like, let's really define what self-care is like for you and for you and for you and for you. And we're going to end up with as many different definitions as we have people. 
And so we, you know, have this, again, pop culture thing about self-care. Are you doing enough self-care? We shame ourselves over self-care these days. We get, we get all wrapped up in it, right? And like you have just mentioned, it can come through in many different forms and flavors and varieties. And it really is about being present, being in the moment, and allowing yourself to have some mindful awareness of what it is that you're doing. And that could be a billion different things. Absolutely. And I can't believe I forgot to say my sewing. <laughs> yes. I thought you were going totally. to sewing when we were talking about creative. Totally forgot pursuit. to mention that. I absolutely love, this is something that may, I wish that this is my nerd alert of, I wish we learned draping on a dress form in PT school. I, yes. I It's one of my like dreams to be able to teach fabric how fun weft warp and weft and of fabric um if you think about woven fabric oh, right you know how weaving works you've got the straight lines and then the one that under over under over yes. so you have warp and weft if you turn that fabric a woven fabric 45 degrees on a diagonal that's what we call on the bias yes and on the bias if you if you pull it's super stretchy and the reason why I nerd out about this is that fascia, yes. high fascia will web. Yes. And it's, you know, infinite. And to be able to think about, we can't create a fabric that is fascia. It's not right. possible. Right. right. It's we so multi dimensional. Yes. That's right. We have things like four way stretch, which is that kind of you know, your yoga pants, stretchy pants, like yes. red. So it stretches in lots of different directions and has elasticity. But the point being that what's really fun is a dress form is, uh, is, is what we use as, as, uh, designers to it's a mannequin is just like a, something that you would put clothes on in a storefront. A dress form is like that, but it's the specific dimensions of you or whatever okay. you're trying to do and it is it's uh something that you can pin into mm -hmm. and um you it's can, like soft mm -hmm. that's right so you can take pieces of fabric and you can drape them or you basically what you're doing is sculpting onto yes. the dress form and it's really fun to be able to kind of for me I really enjoy sculpting. I, I love draping on the dress form, sculpting a piece of fabric. On it's a two-dimensional piece of fabric that you're trying to create this three-dimensional yes. kind of say. So you have to you have to create darts and you have to do. So my point in this is that it really takes an interesting part of your brain to go from two D flat to three D uh -huh. body. Yes. And we're body workers. So yes. it's just a really interesting component piece of, of that work. And if you ever, if you want to look at, if you want to look at draping, you need to watch the series Halston. Nice. Halston is a designer from the seventies who's one of the early, early, like super exciting draping on people's body, like draping on a woman's body. It's all, it's, 
basically all of the Studio 54 flowy uh-huh. 70s kind Love of things. Vintage. Amazing, amazing work. So you got me on that tangent, but that is another piece of loving to be up in New Orleans, having, I I make, yes, I make most of my apparel at this point, but I love my costuming, love going from concept to creation. And we get multiple times a year as an excuse to do that in New Orleans. So many people are so creative here. It's just such a fun place to be a part of. Yeah, I totally agree. How grateful I feel for having that goodness in our city. We have a lot of things sometimes that we get down about in this city where it's like, whether it's potholes or the humid summers or, you know, the list can go on, evacuate for a hurricane. We have some not fun things here. But we have some super fun things that are so ingrained in the culture. And Mardi Gras and celebrations are definitely such a big part of that. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Allison. Is there any other little pearl or nugget you want to throw out there before we wrap it up? You gave us so much. I know. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. The body is a lot. The the context of the body, the content of the mind and body is just, it is infinite. Yeah, I'll I'll wrap it up like this. I, I feel like the first, so this is, I'll be practicing for 13 years in May. And I have been feeling, of course, we had our COVID period, which... I've been saying like the first 10 years is this and the second 10 years is, but we're at, yes, a different, <laughs> we're into the day. <laughs> I feel like I, uh, my next part of my career is moving into education. Yes. And I want to be able to teach people how to do some of the, uh, how to how to do the things that I do I feel like it can only affect so many people one-on-one and I get questions all the time about how do you but how do you do this and what how have you been practicing the way you have um and what does it look like and can you teach me kind of thing so for me I'm going to be moving into that education world and you and I are going to be doing some work together Yes. And I think my biggest drive in in the rest of my career path is going to be helping uh, people understand the importance of embodiment and being able to feel in their own bodies what what movement, what, what movement is happening? How should it feel? How could it feel? How can I create ease and efficiency? And it's being able to check in and notice and all of those things that we talked about, about today, if we could take what we're doing and insert that into PT school, can we teach? We're all movers. Yeah, we're all kinesthetic learners. We've got visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning. Right, we're all movers. Can we just move? move. <laughs> Let's learn through movement. 
And that's my biggest goal is to spend the rest of my time in my career helping people to learn through movement rather than just kind of listening and hearing. Yeah, there is a very rich and vast territory there to be able to learn through movement and to be able to make our sweet and lovely physical therapy new grads more sustainable with the work that they're doing, with the work that they're going to be called to do for decades later after graduating. So Allison, would you love to come back to us to talk more about this embodiment experience that we're going to work on? Of course, I would love to. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you are contributing to move the needle in our profession and to evolve along with that changing landscape of connecting the mind and body. Thank you.